It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. Today, Bengals fans, the Locked On Bengals podcast is going to entertain the possibility of Larry Warford, at least talk about why it makes sense for the Bengals to sign Larry Warford. I will argue that it's not worth thinking about for you, Bengals fans, because it's not going to happen and there are reasons why it won't happen. But I also agree with James when he's going to tell you they should do it. That is something that I think we're in line on. Then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the back and forth on Twitter right now about Nick Chubb and if he is a better running back than Joe Mixon. This all stems from a, I don't know, some guy from Cleveland decided to put Tyler Boyd on blast because Tyler Boyd found the tweet with Joe Burrow and and A.J. Green and said it wasn't even close, saying they're that much better than, than Baker and Odell Beckham. So it spiraled from there. We'll talk about that back and forth a little bit. And then we're going to take a look at the first quarter of the schedule. We will get into the most important game or the most interesting game in that schedule. We'll take a look at what the Bengals opponents in those first four games of the season have done in the offseason and how these teams stack up at this point in May, looking way out in the future. But James, let's get started with the Larry Warford stuff. He went to the University of Kentucky, obviously, so Bengals fans are well aware of Larry Warford. Many Bengals fans, I should say, because there's so much overlap between the Cincinnati Bengals fan base and the Kentucky Wildcats fan base. Coming out of Kentucky, he was an 89th percentile weight athlete. He weighed in at 332 pounds at the Combine, was a 68th percentile bench press, 57th percentile three-cone Other than that, his 40 was pretty miserable. His broad jump, his vertical jump, not very strong. His 20-yard shuttle, 6th percentile. A lot of things working against his athletic profile, but since coming into the league, he's been a very good pass blocker and an inconsistent but occasionally very good run blocker. Why does this move make sense for the Cincinnati Bengals? Because I think there are a lot of reasons that it does that we can talk about. If the Bengals were to sign Larry Warford, Jake, it would be a gift in May, right? We, t- we kept talking about, uh, and a lot of people have talked about, what they didn't do in the draft from an offensive line standpoint. Well, Larry Warford is 28. He's not 38 like Jason Peters, right, who's a, a guy I was potentially interested in. So age-wise, makes sense. Very few times do a, a three-time Pro Bowl or does a three-time Pro Bowl guard come available in May. And there are a few reasons behind it, but overall, you have to look at the Bengals' offensive line. Would Larry Warford be an upgrade from Xavier Suofilo? 
Would he be a guy that would help Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon in this offense? I say yes. I say he's still more than capable of being an upgrade. You could have Xavier Suofilo slide to the left side potentially and battle Mike Jordan for that left guard spot. And suddenly you have a a three-time pro bowler, a guy who's uh, got plenty of of skins on the wall, a guy who fits the profile that they've went after this offseason, which is playoff experience. So I think it makes a ton of sense. And, And I think you can do it without committing long-term dollars to the to a, a guy like Warford. He's probably looking for a prove-it deal so he can reestablish his value at this stage of the offseason. Wouldn't be shocked at all if a, a team gets him on a one-year deal. And I think the Bengals should put their, their uh, best foot forward here and try to get him. He's going to have a lot of suitors. I think the Bengals should be one of the many teams on the, the pursuit of a guy like Larry Warford. And the USA Today report talking about the release of Larry Warford says that they were opening up a spot for first-round draft pick Cesar Ruiz, who the Saints, of course, selected. He also is described as having a bloated contract. He's described as having a down year. But if you look at the PFF grades, he was perfectly fine, and he still went to a Pro Bowl. He actually had his highest-graded year for the Saints in 2019. He hasn't been as good in New Orleans as he was in Detroit. But if he's available for a one-year deal to reestablish his value, if that's the perception of him in the league, then there is a bit of a chance that this makes sense. But here's why it won't happen is because they've invested in Xavier Suofilo. They want to carry over money, and they are expecting to take on additional cap dollars in the 2020 season when they extend A.J. Green and or Joe Mixon. So that's going to leave them around $7 million or so in cap space, they will almost always float that to the next year. It would be a dramatic change in business for them to use that money instead to sign Larry Warford, one I would welcome, but not one we should expect. But what we can expect this season is a lot of smack talk between the two teams in Ohio as Bengals fans are getting their confidence back and Browns fans remain eternally optimistic. How about that smack talk on Twitter going on this weekend, James? I love it. I'm here for it. I love it. Absolutely. 100%. Sign me up. I want a Bengals-Browns rivalry. I want it to start this offseason and continue with their Thursday night matchup in week two. And I want it to grow from there. Uh, I I think it's really funny that uh, Tyler Boyd comes out and says, quote, shit's not even close when talking about Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield versus Joe Burrow and A.J. Green. And then you combine that with the Mixon versus Chubb debate. I love it. The Battle of Ohio. I think it is back, Jake. And sign me up. I'm excited for it. This is so insignificant to me. This is what we're doing because we're in quarantine. I don't care if fans smack talk. You guys do whatever you're going to have fun with. I do like the team pride that we're seeing from Tyler Boyd, from John Ross standing up for Joe Mixon. John Ross tweeted on May 9th, y'all better stay out of my mentions talking about you have two running backs better than Mixon on one team. Of course, referring to Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. So I do appreciate the team pride, but the back and forth, I don't really care one way or the other. And James, here's my unpopular take for the Locked On Bengals podcast. Just because we are talking about Nick Chubb versus Joe Mixon, Joe Mixon needs to do more to be talked about as a definitively better player than Nick Chubb. He might be more talented, and I think he is more talented. But in terms of productivity, production, whatever you want to call it, Nick Chubb was more productive last year than Joe Mixon. And until Mixon 
gets more involved in the passing game, which we've been talking about on this podcast forever. I think that Nick Chubb has that title. That's something that if you go look at Joe Goodberry on Twitter, he and I agree on this. And I'm looking at PFF right now. Nick Chubb happens to be PFF's top graded running back in the 2019 season. And where's Joe Mixon on this list, you might ask. I am looking down the page. There he is. (laughs) 22nd. 75.3 75.3 versus an 88.7 given Mixon was on a much worse offense, had to carry a lot more of the load. And here's my favorite thing to do is I just go to the second half of the season. I'm going to click off the first eight, nine weeks of the year, go week 10 to week 17. Now Joe Mixon is the top running back in the league. 81.6 to Nick Chubb's 81.1. So Mixon finished the season stronger according to PFF. And if you watch Joe Mixon, you would think this guy's playing out of his mind. 800, 817 of his like 1,100 yards came in the last eight games of the season. He can be elite. Joe Mixon can be elite. I said it the first time, Jake, the first time I met Joe, I, I was like shocked at how big the guy was and how quick he moved during training camp and, and hit all of his physical tools. All of the tools are there. There's a reason when he, he was coming out, he still went in the second round. He had top 10 talent, okay? The Bengals had him neck and neck with Leonard Fournette as the top running back on their board. That's that's a fact. I know for a fact that was the case. But the reality is, and, and you could blame the line, you could blame the scheme, you can blame whatever you want, he hasn't been as productive. And so when you talk about the best backs in the league, Joe Mixon, from a talent standpoint, I think is right there. But the numbers, that they just don't compare it. And so that's... That's what's interesting here is he's asking for a new contract, right? He wants an extension. And, and I'll kind of blend this in together. If he wants to get paid like a top back as a, a top three or four back, well, you got to produce like one. And for whatever the case is, whatever reason you want to give or excuse you want to make, he hasn't. And that's what I wrote at SI.com on Sunday. I said, look, you, you can say whatever you want about Nick Chubb. But he's right now the better player. He averaged over five yards per carry last year, and he did it in uh, his rookie season as well. All of the numbers say Chubb. Could Mixon be better? Yeah, I think he's a better pass catcher. I think he's bigger. I think he's just as fast. There are so many things that he can do. He's more versatile. But we haven't seen it yet. And so until we do, and we could very well see it this year with Joe Burrow and potentially an upgraded offensive line, until we see it, we got to call it what we call it, which is a, a running back who's had two back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons but hasn't ran for 1,200 yards, right? Hasn't had a breakout campaign where he's one of the best backs in the league. Nick Chubb should have led the league in rushing last year, but he had the worst coach in NFL history. So it, it'll be interesting to see if Mixon can not only close the gap but, but take that leap and pass Nick Chubb as far as AFC North running backs are concerned this season. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you know how Joe Mixon can get it done, James, is he can eat more Built Bars. Built Bar is sponsoring the Locked On Bengals podcast for the month of May. 
It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. I just finished my last of the free sampling they gave me. It was the peanut butter flavored, James. Not the peanut butter brownie, but just the straight peanut butter. And I think it was my favorite so far. Also, added bonus, it has the most protein, I think, out of the sample pack. They sent me 20 grams of protein in just one bar. I'm with you. I'm with you on, with the peanut butter. I'm holding it right now. No one can see it, but Jake, but I got the peanut butter one right here. I'm about to crush it after we finish this podcast and, and I'm with you. There, there's nothing better than built bars. By the way, shout out to coach Tommy Strine. He bought some built bars. Be like Tommy. He's been killing it CrossFit wise and stuff like that during quarantine. I get it. You guys are working out. You want to stay in shape, hit your macros, do it with built bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back into the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm James Rapine along with Jake Lisko. We record this every single day here on Locked On Bengals, so make sure you subscribe at wherever you get your podcast. And Jake, let's dive into it because this is the, the first of our quarterly Bengals schedule breakdown and let's start with the game of the first quarter weeks one through four the matchup that stands out the most here on the Locked On Bengals podcast and it's a close one I think because you could say Bengals home opener Joe Burrow maybe against Justin Herbert probably not given reports we saw late last week that they were going to ease him in a four-year starter needs to be eased into the NFL, a four-year starter who is a sixth pick <laughs> in the NFL draft. But you know what? You do you, Chargers. We'll, we'll play against Tyrod Taylor. But I, I don't think it's that one. I think it's the primetime game. It's the primetime game in week two, going on the road, hostile environment in Cleveland. This is somewhere that we expect Joe Burrow to thrive. And Cleveland has made a lot of significant additions to their roster this year. They address the offensive line by signing... Jack Conklin to come in, play right tackle from Tennessee. They draft Jedrick Wills in the first round. He's expected to step in and start at a tackle position. They made a big splash for Austin Hooper at tight end where they lose David Njoku and instead they roll with Hooper. Maybe they get Odell Beckham healthy this year after he played all of last year with an injury. Maybe Olivier Vernon is healthy. They get Miles Garrett back from suspension. Grant Delpit, another LSU defensive back, ball hawk kind of guy in the second round to go with Greedy Williams. Two, two LSU guys that don't tackle but have ball production. The Cleveland Browns on paper, again, look very good. And they've looked good on paper for the last, I don't know, four years. I've thought, oh, this is a year the Browns are going to be 8-8 eight and eight and really push for the division. Well, maybe with Kevin Stefanski, Alex Van Pelt, Joe Woods, they take some steps in the right direction. And this is a big test. Regardless, on the road, Thursday night, what are you looking forward to in this game, James? One, you're right uh, about the Browns. I, I actually, I love their their team from a roster standpoint. The, the roster from a talent standpoint is top five in the league. Like, I don't really know how you could argue against that. I get they do have some weaknesses and some positions that you'd want to add to if you could. But that offense, there really is no weakness. They've completely... Short up that offensive line, as you mentioned. I love the addition of Austin Hooper, and they have multiple dynamic wide receivers in OBJ and Jarvis Landry. I think this is a huge matchup, and it's it's a huge matchup for a few reasons. One, regardless of what happens at Paul Brown Stadium in that opener, where you could make that argument that it is the the game of the the, the first quarter of the season and the, the most important game, 
Four days later, they have to travel to Cleveland and they have to play on the road, potentially in front of fans. It's going to be tough. It, it is. And it's it, it's real. It's the first of what I think are going to be many Burrow Baker matchups. And, and you just you wonder one, how Bobby Hart, how Jonah Williams, how those two guys are going to deal with Olivier Vernon and Miles Garrett how they're going to react to, to crowd noise for the first time, being such a young team. I just, there'll be so many questions going into this. But I, I still – I think it's a winnable game. I, I don't think that this is uh, some game that you you look at and you say, all right, well, the Browns have a more talented roster. No, I, I will I will go into it really – barring any kind of crazy injuries or anything like that, knock on wood, feeling pretty decent about the Bengals' chances. But this is, uh, th- this is certainly going to be a, a measuring stick because it, the Browns – I would have them third right now in the AFC North because like you, I'm jaded based on the the past, including last year, looking at the talent and how they underperformed third in the AFC North. And if you don't perform well against them, how are you going to do against Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers or the Ravens? So I I think that this is going to be a huge matchup for the Bengals just four days after the opener. I'm looking at the Browns roster right now. I forgot to mention a few other free agent acquisitions they had. They picked up Adrian Claiborne, who, Late in his career will be off the bench, a rotational defensive end for, for them. That's a pretty good piece to have coming off the bench. And, of course, they signed Andrew Billings to play one of their nose tackle positions inside. In addition to that, they draft Jordan Elliott. So that defensive line goes very deep. If you look at some of the other positions on this team, the depth isn't there. And I don't really even necessarily like the starters. I think they still have a lot to prove at the linebacker position where they've got Jacob Phillips, the own Taki Taki and Mac Wilson. You, if you listen to this podcast would know that we did not like Mac Wilson's profile coming into the NFL. He was reasonably productive for the Browns, but behind them, I don't know any of the names on the team at all so if any of those three guys go down and it's a third rounder a third rounder and a fifth rounder in their rookie or second seasons there's something to be exploited there and we're hoping that Joe Burrow attacking the intermediate and short part of the field can take advantage of the linebackers we're hoping that a an offensive line that's a little bit retooled has found its way a little bit in the running game and Joe Mixon can take advantage of these linebackers assuming that they can handle the front Four for the Browns, which I think is the strength of the team. And then you look at the secondary. Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, both productive cover guys, have had injury issues. We'll see if they can stay healthy. Grant Delpit, Carl Joseph, the safeties. I think there's a bit of a projection there. Those guys are both young and will be adapting to the NFL. Might be able to take advantage of that a little bit. The good news, I think, is that Joe Burrow is going to be very familiar with free safety Grant Delpit and Greedy Williams from their time together at LSU. Yeah, and, and it was it was interesting. Uh, Grant Delpit, th- the night he was drafted, said he looked forward to picking off Burrow two to three times, depending on how many times they see each other during the season, obviously, if they ever met in the playoffs. So I do think that there will be some smack talk there. And that's what I'm saying, Jake. I, I, do, I think that this is going to start to become a rivalry. And it hasn't in my lifetime. It's never been. I, I mean, the, either the Bengals are bad or the Browns are bad or both were bad at the same time for, for a few years. And they've never really been competitive at the same time. I think this is the start of that. I think when you got have Joe Burrow on one side, Baker Mayfield in, in the, the roster that he has on offense, this is the start of a rivalry. And I welcome it because I'm sick of dealing with the Steelers. I'm sick of the Ravens, but I don't think they're going anywhere. But uh, cer- certainly uh, the idea of a battle of Ohio that means something uh, is more exciting 
than what we've seen over the past 30 years or so. And the Browns obviously still have something to prove to get to that mm-hmm. point because they have had this roster isn't that I listed a bunch of guys they added this offseason, but the roster isn't that different than it has been in years past. The most substantial difference is probably now they have two tackles instead of just Joe Thomas, who's been gone for a few years now. They've added depth on the defensive line, but they consistently underachieve. Yeah, Freddie Kitchens was a terrible hire. Yeah, Kevin Stefanski seems like a better hire on paper, but until they get it together and actually show me for a whole season that they won't implode, the Browns are are just another garbage team in the NFL to me. They're just another poorly run franchise, and some people might want to lump the Bengals into that. I'm not there right now. I think they've had a bad run for sure, but nothing matching the Browns' 20 years of ineptitude that we've been watching. And for me, the question boils down to Baker Mayfield is, can he succeed? You have no excuses at this point for Baker Mayfield, and he was not good in his second year. He wasn't. He wasn't. He was about as bad as you could have. Honestly, I couldn't have imagined him being as bad as he was last no. year. I mean, there was there were so many things wrong with what he did from throwing interceptions. And I know he had some bad luck to him not being in shape and openly admitting that he didn't put the work in that he should have and that they thought it was going to be easy. And, and that's why when I, I look at his cockiness and that's what I'll call it, his cockiness versus what Joe Burrow has, because they both have edges. I like Joe Burrow because it's he's cocky, but it's confident. And it's confident because of the work he put in. And he he described it well uh, the night he was drafted. And I think there is a difference. And you can play with an edge, but you should get that edge from your preparation. And I think Burrow does. Last year, Baker did it. And, and that's why he was out of shape. That's why he was throwing picks. And that's why he struggled with a, a team that was extremely talented. So it'll be interesting to see how the Browns do uh, and certainly uh, how the Bengals match up against them at First Energy Stadium in week two. We have three other opponents to talk about in the first quarter of the season. The Los Angeles Chargers, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. We will give you an overview of their offseason moves and what make those matchups interesting coming up next. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's continue to break down the Bengals schedule. We already gave you our game of the first quarter, Bengals-Browns week two. Jake, let's go back to the opener now. And this is going to be one of the more anticipated openers uh, ever in Bengals history as Joe Burrow makes his NFL debut at Paul Brown Stadium as the Bengals going to be hosting the Chargers in week one. And the Chargers are a team that right now I think Bengals fans are writing this in as a victory. They're writing this in as this should be a soft game on the schedule. It's at home. It's a home opener. It is worth noting that the Chargers had a weird offseason that isn't necessarily the offseason you would expect from a team that plans to be rebuilding. They traded for Trey Turner. Of course, they give up uh, an offensive tackle to do so, but then they signed Brian Bulaga to, to fill that void. That was a guy that I would have liked the Bengals to have signed. 
to introduce some competition at that spot. They signed Nick Vigil, who that'll be an interesting note, the return of Nick Vigil to Cincinnati and in what I assume will be a starting role for the Chargers. They signed Chris Harris from Denver. They signed Linval Joseph. They drafted Kenneth Murray. And we'll see if Justin Herbert plays. There's a lot of stuff about this team that, that and Zach Taylor said this in his press conferences talking about the schedule, that, that make them a, a formidable opponent. They've got Bosa. They've got Ingram. They add Kenneth Murray. They add to the offensive line. They still have Keenan Allen. There are reasons to think that this is not a pushover. And despite the fact that they can't sell out their stadium, we shouldn't be overlooking this game. It won't be a pushover at all. I think the Chargers roster, and you broke it down well, it's extremely talented, especially that pass rush. That's going to be scary. Hey, Joe Burrow, welcome to the NFL. Deal with Melvin Ingram, right? Deal with a a defense that, you know, Chris Harris, who's going to be a ball hawk and, and put pressure on these wide receivers, Look, I think that the Bengals, this is a a winnable game, and I like the matchup. I want Justin Herbert to start this game. I I, I get it. He was the sixth pick, and maybe you want to take him along and stuff. But to me, Tyrod Taylor is safe. And when I look at these rosters, the Chargers going with the safe bet in Taylor, who might not turn it it over much, is going to take care of the ball and get you through everything. That could be their key to winning at Paul Brown Stadium week one. He's not going to shy away from, you know, a, a NFL matchup. He's been there, done that. He led to the Bills to the, to the playoffs a couple of years ago. Herbert's the wild card. And I'd much rather go up against the wild card than a guy like Taylor who, who's going to bring stability to that offense. And if he starts, I'm a little worried about this matchup. And the Bengals, obviously, underdogs in, in this matchup. They're, they're only favored in one game this year, as we've talked about on this podcast. So it, uh, it is going to be interesting, certainly a winnable game. I'm not ruling it out that the Bengals can win, but there are a lot of areas that are going to concern me, especially if Tyrod Taylor is starting. Because if Herbert's starting, I could see three picks in his debut. If Tyrod Taylor's starting, I, I think he's going to throw it 13 times, and I, I don't see many interceptions. So it uh, th- that's the wild card there that I, I'm hoping for from a Bengals standpoint that Herbert is the starter. And I think – Many of those throws, of those 13 throws that you're talking about, go to Austin Eckler, who signed his <laughs> extension this offseason. It's going to be a big early test for the Bengals in how do we handle speedy, agile running backs. And then you have the early storyline of how does Keenan Allen and Mike Williams test this revamped Bengal secondary? How do the Bengals manage an offensive line that does have holes? Dan Feeney at left guard doesn't inspire a ton of confidence. Sam Tevy at right tackle is a guy... I've never heard of currently listed as a starter for San Diego. How does the offensive line hold up against those guys? We talked about Linval Joseph, Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram. There are a lot of questions in that game, a lot of fun matchups to watch, but let's get to week three, James, when the Bengals take on their most heavily underdogged game for lack of better grammar of the season. Against the Philadelphia Eagles in Philly, they add Darius Slade, Javon Hargrave, Marquise Goodwin in free agency and through trades, and have added Jalen Rager to add a weapon for Wentz, Carson Wentz, their their redheaded young quarterback. Yeah, I I, I really like this Eagles offensive the, the offensive firepower they've added this offseason. It it might not wow you. Right, you're you're not gonna see the names, and they're not gonna pop off. But I, I like Jalen Rager. I think he could contribute right away. I, I think that a, a Marquise Goodwin is a guy that could certainly help you 
as well. And that's the thing is this team won the division last year in the NFC East. And I get it that the Cowboys struggled down the stretch and we could talk about all these different things, but they won that division. And so you, you give Carson Wentz more weapons. I think they will certainly rely on Miles Sanders a bit more uh, in the running game this year. You, you look at it and this is going to be a, an extremely tough matchup. This is the hardest game in my opinion, of the four in this quarter. Uh, I get it, a a Thursday night matchup on the road four days after your debut. That's going to be tough in Cleveland. This is the toughest, though, despite the extra days to prepare. And so it's it's really going to be interesting to see how Zach Taylor has these guys. Are they going to be ready to play in Philadelphia against the team that, yeah, they they have a weak secondary, but they did add Darius Slay, that they are probably going to be improved from what they were last year on the back end. Can the Bengals score with the Eagles, or where that will that defense be able to keep it low scoring? It's it's going to be an interesting matchup and a tough one on the road early in the season. And what stands out to me, we talked about the Eagles matchup last week, of course, with Louie from Locked On Eagles. But what stands out to me is the strength of this team is the offensive line going Andre Dillard, who we absolutely loved last year, who will hopefully step up in his second year for them. Well, hopefully for them, not for the Bengals. Isaac. <laughs> Sayumalo, who I don't recognize the name at left guard, to be honest, and I don't have PFF up in front of me at the moment to get any insight into his level of play. But when you're between Andre Dillard and Jason Kelsey, who's probably still the best center in the league, you're probably having a pretty good time. Then the right side is just rock solid in Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson. There's even a chance that Jason Peters returns to Philly. This is something that's been out there as a possibility in the last week. So if he comes back and one of these guys kicks into guard, well, now that offensive line looks even better. So big test here for the Bengals' defensive line, the Bengals' pass rushers, to see if they can generate any pressure to perhaps manufacture the turnovers that I imagine the Bengals will need to keep up in this game. It is going to be interesting. And I do think that, Going on the road to Philadelphia, playing an elite quarterback in Carson Wentz. And I look at him as elite. I know he's dealt with some injury issues. A well-coached team. These are the type of tests and type of things a young team needs to go through to come together. The Bengals might get their heads kicked in. Last we looked, they were 10-point underdogs last week, right? So who knows? But I think it's a an important matchup to to get past and, and learn and grow from what happens good and bad in Philadelphia. All right, Jake, let's wrap up quarter number one with week number four. It's Jacksonville, the Bengals hosting the Jaguars at Paul Brown Stadium in week four. I look at this game and I say, and there aren't going to be many on the schedule, Jake, but I think this is, regardless of what happens in the first three weeks, this has got to be a must win. If you want the Bengals to be successful in 2020, whatever that is, whatever your barometer is, they have to beat the Jaguars at home. And here are the key additions, according to Bengals.com. I do agree with you, but here are the, here are the guys that, that the Bengals website have identified as the important new players in Jacksonville. Joe Schobert, who we've talked about. The Bengals are very familiar with him. The Bengals were in on signing him. He signed for more money than they were willing to pay him, more money than I would have been willing to pay him because he kind of hasn't improved since coming into the league. He was very good early in his career, and then kind of stagnated, in my opinion. Then Tyler Eifert, number two. Nice to see him again. It'll be nice to see him back in Cincinnati. He'll get to interact with some fans, I'm sure, that will have nice things to say to him and maybe some trash talk as well. 
and then Chris Thompson, CJ Henderson, Caleb on chase on LaVisca Chenault. So really like those three players they drafted, but Garner Minshew is still the starting quarterback. So what's the strength of this team? Josh Allen and Yannick Ngakwe, who's not going to probably be playing for Jacksonville this year. Where maybe Caleb on chase on steps in and, and that's where the pass rush comes from. But Nothing really scares me on the defensive side of the ball. And then on offense, you've obviously got DJ Chark and D.D. Westbrook. Can can yeah. they do enough? I'm not convinced. I don't, I'm not convinced the offensive line is all that good. I'm not convinced the quarterback is all that good. I think this is a game that you're right. If the Bengals are going to be any good, they need to win this one. I have to. They have to. And it's, it's, it's really simple to me. I, I look at this roster and they're clearly – tearing down a bit they won't admit it but they're going with Gardner Minshew they didn't seriously pursue Andy Dalton for a starting role from what we know right they 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 weren't willing to commit that because I think they have their eyes on on Trevor Lawrence potentially in next year's draft I mean Cam Newton's just hanging out there you're telling me Cam Newton isn't better than Gardner Minshew he absolutely is but the Jaguars want to retool. They want to complete this rebuild. They've traded some of their players uh, over the past couple of years. They're, they're high-end star players. And, and Gakwe is probably the next one out, like you mentioned. So it, it's, uh, it, it's a must-win. I like this matchup. I think if the Bengals, and it is a possibility, I'm not trying to be negative, but if they start out 0-3, they shouldn't get to 0-4. They should be able to win this matchup and win this game. And uh, it, it could be... Really, the breakout game, I think back to that 2011 season, and you saw flashes before the Bengals got their first win. It was that on-the-road game against Denver where Andy Dalton and and A.J. Green just dominated in that second half and really played well on the road, and then it led to wins. You could see that in Philadelphia, them playing well but potentially losing, but you feel really good, and then putting it all together the very next week against a bad Jacksonville team. So that is the first quarter of the NFL schedule. One of these games stands out as unlike the others, and it truly is the Jacksonville game. The other three games have a lot of intrigue value for me. The Jacksonville game is one that, man, if the Bengals don't win that one, it'll be a disappointment. (laughs) I I want that game to be a boring walk-in-the-park victory. It's in Cincinnati. Lots of reasons that that one should go well. And then you want to see them play Philadelphia close if they don't win. You want to see that come down to the final quarter, if at all possible. You want to see Joe Burrow remain efficient, not get into turnover trouble to give the Bengals a chance to create potentially some havoc and maybe get their own turnovers. And that'll be something that's kind of, as we talk about the schedule, as we start to think forward toward the games, is how's the turnover battle going to work out for the Bengals this year? That, I think, like we saw with the 2005 year to some degree, I just think the ability to have ball production, getting those interceptions, forcing the ball out of ball carriers' hands will be a big barometer for the strength of this defense that will need, I think, the big play. We'll need to see that momentum be a factor for a young team coming into its own, looking for an identity. And I think that the turnover battle is one way you can achieve that in year one for Joe Burrow. Absolutely. I think it's, that could be the the most critical thing. Like if I had to pick one thing for the defense and they completely retold and remade this defense, but if there's just one thing they need to improve on, it's on their 16 turnovers they forced last year, right? You're going you're gonna to have to get 
the ball in Burrow's hands and give this offense more opportunities because we know the offensive line is weak in spots. And so that is going to cause turnovers the other way. Defenses are going to be able to do that and put pressure on Burrow and confuse him. So it is going to lead to some turnovers. That's just the reality of it. Peyton Manning threw a bunch of interceptions as a rookie. You might see that at times from Burrow this year. So the defense needs to hold up its end of the bargain. And I look at what they add. I mean, Von Bell was great at forcing fumbles last year, right, and recovering the ball. And he had recovering them in particular. And, yeah, he. I think he led the league in recovering them. And, and so you, you look at this defense and what they put together. They should be able to put more pressure on opposing quarterbacks, which should lead to more more turnovers forced, which is going to result in more points on offense. So I'm with you. I think that's probably one, the number one thing they need to improve on. I get it. The Bengals, they'll say tackling. That's too boring for me. I'll say forcing forcing turnovers on defense. And I, and I just wonder where that's going to come from, right? They, they've mm-hmm. added players that are very good at tackling, but they've also added players, you know, Trey Waynes is, is similar to Drake Kirkpatrick in his ball skills. He's not a guy that's going to be known for creating turnovers, so they'll have to do it other ways. They'll have to get Jesse Bates out there doing his ball hawking thing. They'll need to get some ball production from these linebackers. That's something Logan Wilson could add to the defense. We saw that with Odell Thurman in his rookie year. Somebody posted the other day, he had five forced fumbles, five interceptions, something like that, over 100 tackles in his rookie year. It's been done by one other player since then, regardless of whether they were a rookie or not. If you can get anything close to that, and I'm not saying you should expect it, that would be pretty impressive. If Logan Wilson gives me half of that this year, I think it would be a huge win and it would really give the Bengals a, a, a boost moving forward, right? I think this year is a lot about the future and feeling good about where the, the team is heading in, in 2021 and beyond. We'll have more on the Bengals' schedule as we break down quarter number two, weeks five through eight. We'll do that on tomorrow's show and crossover week. We'll continue with the AFC South. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Locked On Bengals. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Jake and I will be back tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening here on the Locked On Bengals podcast. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.